Thanks for having us back, Kingston. It's great to be here. Now, I want you to quickly pop your hand up if you have ever done a personality test. Anyone ever done a personality test? All right, that's a good portion of us. You can pop your hands down now. I, I did a personality test, and it was pretty scary. Uh, because you answer a bunch of questions, don't you? And they pop out an answer that pretty much lays your soul bare on the page. And it's scarily accurate. And I like to think that I'm pretty unpredictable, but suddenly I become the most predictable person on the planet. It tells me simple things, but it comes out with these niche little reflections. And it's spot on. Now, more recently than that, I actually did a personality test with a twist, a test where I answered questions about my understanding of Caitlin's personality, my wife's personality. Now, I'm used to looking at the world through her eyes, uh, and so I answered most questions pretty confidently. Uh, and 384 questions later, we had a pretty good understanding of my view of Caitlin. Now, for some areas, I was pretty much spot on. Actually, I was exactly spot on. Out of 100, I scored Caitlin at exactly the same point as she scored herself on a few personality traits. I was pretty proud of that. But in other things, well, I was actually way off. I thought I had it nailed, but I'd actually made some judgments that weren't even in the ballpark for Caitlin's personality. Now, our personalities affect the way we act in situations, don't they? And knowing Caitlin's personality, well, that helps me to know her attitude in different situations. And it changed the way that I related to her when I realised my understanding was off, it needed to change. Now, today's passage raises a personality question. It's not about Caitlin or about me or about you, but it's about God. The question raised is this. What is God's attitude towards sinners? Well, if you've got your Bible there, open it up again or keep it open. We're going to read Luke 15 verses 1 to 2. So read that with me now. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, as we set the scene here, of all people, the Pharisees and the scribes, well, they thought they had God's heart, God's personality, absolutely nailed. What does God love? What does God hate? Well, they had all the answers. He hates disobedience and he hates sin and he loves people who do the right thing and loves people who follow the law. Simple. They clearly think Jesus is doing the wrong thing by welcoming sinners and eating with them. Now, it's important to realise as well, Jesus is hanging out with some pretty gnarly characters here. So tax collectors, they're people who are desperate enough to take up a dishonest job to survive. They're like first century scam artists. And sinners, well, they're people who broke the law, but when someone pointed it out, they didn't care. They just rebelled against the law constantly. And yet here they are, drawing near to listen to Jesus. Are they turning from their sinful ways? Well, it certainly seems like it, doesn't it? They're drawing near to Jesus. But the Pharisees, they're here thinking, God hates sin. Jesus, well, you really should condemn these sinners and shut them out. Doesn't Jesus know who these people are? 
They think he's crazy, and God does not approve of this. The Pharisees, they think they know God's heart, and they think Jesus is on the wrong track here. They know God's attitude towards sinners, and it's not this. It's not to welcome them and eat with them. The Pharisees wouldn't even talk to these people. So why is Jesus welcoming them? Well, Jesus hears this muttering, this grumbling, and he comes back with a story that's going to surprise the Pharisees. He says, you think you know God's heart? You think you've got God's attitude towards sinners nailed? Think again. And he tells them a story. We're going to look at this story this morning in three brief parts, and as we do so, we're going to answer this big question. What is God's attitude towards people who sin? The first part of the story we see here is in verse 4. So look at verse 4 with me as we start this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now you would have heard in this story that we heard from Paul just a minute ago, when shepherds would watch over their sheep, they would count them. And this shepherd here is doing the daily counts and he finds that he comes up one short, one out of a hundred. So, of course, he's going to do a recount, isn't he? And he realises at the end of that, one is definitely lost. And one thing is sure from this, this shepherd, he knows his sheep. And not one goes missing without him noticing. And this loss, it's felt deeply. If we're talking percentages, 1% is nothing, is it? But these sheep are precious and the shepherd knows his sheep. So he notices it's missing. Now, for this sheep to be lost, it means two different things. It's actually going to be separated from the shepherd, isn't it? But it's also separated from its fellow sheep. It's separated from the flock. It's out on its own and fending for itself. Without the watchful eye of the shepherd, this sheep is in danger. Now, I wonder if you, some of you might have sheep at home in the paddock. Most of us will have watched a sheep eat before. Uh, they keep their head down, don't they? Head down, they're only concerned with the next little bit of green grass that they're going to nibble. And one step at a time, they can wander and they can go a long way without noticing. They look up and they've realised they're a long way off from where they started. They get lost. It happens accidentally, doesn't it? I do the same thing when I pull up to a fishing spot in my boat and I drop my line in and I'm watching my line in the water waiting for the fish. I'm locked in on my immediate surroundings. When I look up again, I'm a long way off. I'm either closing in on the, rock, on the rocks or I'm way out to sea. You can get lost slowly, can't you, by accident. But you can actively get yourself lost too. When we first got to Sydney, I wanted to head out to the shops and I thought to myself, I'll back myself here, I know how to get there. So I blazed my own trail on my push bike to the shops or at least to where I thought the shops were. I didn't get there. In fact, I found myself off the main road, hopelessly lost, not knowing any street names. I'd taken myself intentionally away and I got lost. As I looked around, I had no idea where I was. So whether, whether we drift or whether we are distracted or go our own way, the result there is the same, isn't it? Getting lost. In this parable, the lost sheep, well, they're the sinners. The sinners drawing near to Jesus. 
People get lost in sin, which if you think about it, is anything that separates us from God and anything that separates us from the people around us. Even as a member of God's flock for a long time, we can get distracted and drift away. We can block our ears to the shepherd's call as we head off on our own paths. This parable is all about everyday decisions that draw us away from God. Every time something takes God's place in our priorities, every time we hurt someone, well, we're separating ourselves from the shepherd and we're separating ourselves from the flock because we wander and we get lost. Well, let's continue the story uh, from verse 4. Let's read on again. Verse 4. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. The shepherd searches and he finds. The second part of this story, we're almost halfway through now, this story, and we see the lost sheep restored to the shepherd. Desperate to find his lost one, this shepherd stops at nothing. He goes after this lost sheep and he searches tirelessly. Exhaustively, notice that word, until, until he finds it. He notices that the sheep is lost. He begins the search. The shepherd takes the initiative here because he pursues his sheep. Now, if you're like me, you, you might find a bit of a tricky part here is leaving 99 sheep behind. Is that irresponsible, leaving 99% for 1%? Well, the idea of leaving 99 here really points us to God's care for the one. It doesn't point to neglect of the rest of the flock. The 99, you can notice, they're actually all counted. The shepherd knows they're there. And the shepherd would most likely have left them in the open country, as it said, under the watch of another shepherd. The emphasis here is squarely on the lost sheep. But you can rest assured that the 99 are safe. One out of 100 is a tiny percentage. And we might coldly think, why not just cut your losses, shepherd? But he cares, doesn't he? 99% isn't good enough. He wants all of his sheep restored to him. And notice here that nothing at all is said about the time and the effort of searching. When he finds a sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he bears the burden of carrying the sheep home. This burden was no burden at all to him. He just wants his precious sheep back. I wonder if the name Chloe, uh, Cleo, the name Cleo Smith means anything to you guys. Mm. Cleo Smith. She went missing in October 2021 from her campsite in Western Australia. She'd been taken. As soon as police were notified, the search was on, and it was on in a big way, and they would search until they found her. They conducted air, land, and sea searches. They sent out a task force with over 100 police officers searching constantly. Now, we would not dream of saying there were so many families camping there and this was one girl 
Let's play the percentages. No. No, one, one girl went missing and our hearts went out to her, didn't they? Because every single child is precious. No, in our minds, it's only right that so much time and effort went into that search. No one asked about the responsibility of putting so many police officers out who might otherwise be watching over safe children. No, Cleo was lost and she needed finding. The cost wasn't factored in. In the same way, God is willing to pay the price for any lost sheep. People are reunited with God in repentance, but God takes the initiative. The actions, what the shepherd does here, they, they shows us what God does through Jesus. He sends out for us. He pays the ultimate price, and he brings us back. It's our sin that separates us from him, but his sacrifice brings us home. The very man telling this story to the Pharisees is God in the flesh, Jesus who gave his life to allow us to be found. Jesus willingly endured the cross for us to take the punishment for our sin. We're precious to him. And God demonstrates his love for us in this, that when we were still sinners, Christ died. And God says in Ezekiel 34, I'll search for the lost and I will bring back the strays. I wonder, are you wandering from God? Have you blazed your own trail only to realise you've headed in the wrong direction? Well, the shepherd has already started out looking for you. The time and the effort is paid for. No matter how hopelessly lost you feel, God has sent out the search party and you can be found by him. You can come home again. That's being found. Let's look at the final stage of this story, verses 6 and 7. So he's found his sheep and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbours together and he says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. From the moment he noticed the sheep was missing, the shepherd has longed for the time when he would find it. And celebration here is only natural. The sheep, which is so precious, was lost, but it has been found. The cost and the effort of searching is swallowed up in celebration. And the reason for celebration here is clear. He tells all his friends in this moment of shared joy, I found my lost sheep. Now, Cleo Smith has a special place in our hearts. Do you remember when she was found? That was joy, wasn't it? It made the news, it made the paper, people were sharing it on social media in this moment of good news. And many of us here shared in the joy of her being found again. After two weeks of painstaking searching, Cleo was found and she was reunited with her family as they rejoiced together with all of Australia. Now, when you have realised that you've been lost, when you've stepped wrong, how do you imagine God reacts when you come to him 
Now, this is a, might be a little bit different, but I want you to stop and I want you to close your eyes for a minute. I'm going to keep mine open so I can read the words on the page. Imagine you've come to God to come clean, to confess a sin. What's the reaction that you expect for him? What do you see his response as? It can be easy to see him maybe as a grumpy school teacher who's going to keep you in for detention if you come clean about the pencil you took from their desk. It can be easy to think of God as a bouncer who is checking ID at the door, only letting in those whose records are clean enough and turning you away. It can be easy to think of God as a friend who you've hurt once more who will just say, don't bother apologising. Go and find yourself a new friend. Now ask yourself, does that, does that line up? And in your mind's eye, replace that image with the one from this story, the loving shepherd. God rejoices when sinners repent. He does not shut sinners out. You can open your eyes again. That's the God we know. When you come to him and admit sin and turn, from, and turn away from it, God's like a shepherd calling together friends, unable to contain his joy. His precious sheep, who he'd realised was lost and who he has been searching for, is back in the flock. He's not cold or calculated or indifferent. He's like Cleo Smith's parents tearing up at this news and calling every single contact in their phone. He's more like that than anything else. Your repentance brings joy. This God truly is the God who you would want finding you. Pure joy is shared in heaven whenever someone turns to God. Now, the big, the big thing for us to do in response to this sermon isn't actually something to do at all. The big challenge today actually applies to our thinking. And this is it. Let this parable, this story, let this story shape the way you think about God. Because getting the question right about God's personality on this parable, it's going to change the way we relate to him. Do you think God will be angry at you for saying sorry for turning away, sorry for getting myself lost or for drifting? Do you think God will turn you away because your sin is too great, because the cost is too high? Think again. Maybe you need a helpful reality check, just like the Pharisees did. And here it is. From the parable of the lost sheep, we learn that our God is a God who sees his people are lost and he searches tirelessly without regard for the cost until they are found and when they are found, he rejoices, doesn't he? It really makes God so happy, so overjoyed when we turn to him. So if you want to make God rejoice, you can come to him in repentance. The reality is that we're all sheep. In this parable, the Pharisees and the scribes, they seemed perfect. Well, they're lumped in with the sinners and the tax collectors who seem so far from God. And the thing is with sheep is they all wander. You know the verse. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. There's not one sheep listening to this parable who doesn't need to turn back to God, who doesn't wander away. I wonder, has your focus drifted 
from living for God to living where financial freedom is your ultimate goal. As you think about the year 2023, your plans and your resolutions, did spiritual aspirations get a look in? Do you look back 10, 20, 30 years ago on your faith and feel like your love for God has dwindled? Maybe you're a drifter. Maybe you've blocked your ears entirely and you've started out on your own way actively. You think, God doesn't care about my sexual practice. God doesn't care about what I think about and what I want. God doesn't care about what I watch or my lack of compassion or care for people who are in need. We're all sheep. We all wander. Sin is out there, but it's in here too. And our wanderings are significant enough that God notices when we are missing because he sent out the search party for us. He sent Jesus for you and me. Now, if there isn't something that jumps out at you, it might be worth spending some time thinking, am I focused on God? Do I have my head up making sure I'm not wandering? Because the Christian life isn't about perfection. The Christian life is about continued repentance. I want to encourage you to keep coming to God, and as you do that to confess your sin, you'll be making him rejoice. Now, this isn't an invitation to go on sinning. Not at all. It's an an invitation to confidently come to God in repentance when you realise you have sinned because he will have you back. Imagine letting this shape your life. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you don't need any help from me working out where you've gone wrong. Your sin is obvious. Something in your life you've never admitted to anyone. You've not talked to God about it. There's a, you feel like there's a black mark against your name. And if someone found out, you just feel like dying or fading out. Well, if God really rejoices in repentance, let me tell you, you can be free from that sin. You can be free from that thing, that black mark that you don't want anyone to know about. If God really rejoices in repentance, you can be free because he does not shut sinners out, so he won't shut you out. He's a God who finds you in your sin, and he's a God who you would want to find you. God loves it when we come clean. In fact, nothing will make him rejoice more than coming to him. He'll throw a party in heaven, and like the book said, everyone will stay up way past their bedtime. Coming to God in repentance will bring him more joy than anything else. He's paid the price, 99%, what's not good enough. He wants all of his sheep restored to him in relationship. Now imagine also if this was the attitude that we held as a church together towards people who'd sinned against us. God does not shut sinners out, so we too need to be careful about who we shut out. People who've hurt us in the past and come to make amends, well, they're going to be warmly received and not turned away. We'll be able to rejoice with those who come back from wandering. When the tax collectors and the sinners of our day, those people who seem so far from God, when they draw near to hear him speak at church, we'll welcome them. As you realise someone 
someone new that you're getting to know has a dark history. Rather than pull back, you can actually rejoice that they're drawing near to God. Whether they've drifted or turned away actively, their repentance is going to cause a massive party and celebration in heaven. Let it cause a great celebration here. God loves to see his lost sheep back. So let's be champions of seeing that happen. Let's rejoice with God and make Kingston a church where lost sheep feel like they can return. What is God's attitude towards sinners? We've answered that big question. I might as well ask, what's God's attitude towards you and me? We are precious. He notices when we wander. He sends out the search party. And when we come back, he rejoices. And those who come to him, he will never drive away. God rejoices when sinners repent. So if you've been lost for a long time, or if you've just taken your first step away, come to God today, be reunited and rejoice with him at sins forgiven. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you will never turn us away, that you send out the search party for us, and that you pay the cost. Lord, we admit that you, that, that you are not always our first priority, that we wander from you, sometimes by accident, Sometimes it's no accident. We aspire to be sheep that come to you daily, that love you as our shepherd, that come to you in repentance and make you rejoice. Let us be sheep like that, Lord. Amen.